the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
No, we are not giving up. We are not turning back. But our primary interest is not the golden crown. Our primary interest is to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be able to do the work of Christ on this earth so that that golden crown will be filled with many stars. And so we are, and we have, completely realigned our time, our energy. We have realigned everything so that our time is given to prayer and scripture and to be in the upper room crying out for revival, for Holy Spirit power. There must be a change in the church in America. And the change has to start here. So we're making that change. We have made that change. And we're crying out to Jesus for you, that you would make that change in your life as well. That you would turn aside from all sin, all rebellion, that it would no longer captivate you or consume you, that the world would no longer have any sway or any rule over your life, that you would be utterly, totally, completely given to Jesus, and he would be the very heart and center of your interest and your passion. We spoke with a woman yesterday, one of our listeners, It was exciting to listen to her talk about a trip she's planning on taking for missions. To Puerto Rico. To Puerto Rico. Where there won't be air conditioning. There's no electricity. And she's going to do heavy physical work. To care for for people and to win people to Jesus in the midst of this devastation from the hurricane. Yes, she said, I'm going to talk to everyone I can about Jesus. You know, only a committed Christian would be that excited about going to uh, an island that's been devastated, hot, steamy, no air, no place to lay your head. Only a Christian would be excited about going there. And she is very excited. We'll bring a report later after she returns. Yes. Well, today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and about what his work is. But first, we want to go back and start where we left off yesterday to talk about the prayer of faith and the spirit of prayer. Yes, so as you've been listening to this broadcast for this week and the past week, we have spoken a lot about can revivals be prayed down? Yes. Okay, now how do we pray for revival? How do we pray the prayer of faith? How can we have the influence of the Holy Spirit in our prayers? If you've missed these messages, please go back and listen to them. You can go to nationalprayerchapel.com or you can also listen on YouTube, on iTunes. Just search for National Prayer Chapel. So you may be wondering, well, why does all this matter? Why is it important for me to do this? Why should I start praying for revival? Is this just an optional thing? 
Is it like bonus points? Will God be extra pleased if I do this? You might not verbalize these thoughts, but there's kind of this tendency where we try to find the easy road and we're like, well, it would be nice if I prayed for revival, but I mean, as long as I'm saved, then, you know, this is just like an add on. Well, so I want to share just a little bit about why this is actually so significant. So the first reason why it's important for you, for every Christian, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and have a spirit of prayer for revival, for the salvation of the lost, for the church to be holy. The first reason is that without this influence of the Holy Spirit, without the spirit of prayer, you will not be particularly useful for the kingdom of God. You may, on occasion, have some fruit. Sometimes people will pray for 10 or 15 years for just a couple members of their family and then they're finally converted after 10 or 15 years. So, okay, yes, you've had, praise God, you've had a little bit of fruit from that. But that's not the example that we see laid down in the New Testament of how the church is to be. We don't see the New Testament church praying for 10 years for one person to be converted. Instead, we see on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches his first sermon and 3,000 people are converted. And you'll notice every single one of those converts, Peter said, be baptized, repent, be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we understand that it was the normal experience in the early church for every single Christian to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's really interesting if you start to read some of these early accounts, for example, um, Celsus, who was a critic of Christianity, I believe it was Celsus wrote about this, he was very upset that women who were servants in households who were Christians would speak to the children in that household and then bring them to the meeting and the children would be converted. And he was really upset at this infiltration and he kind of scorned them for saying, well, the women won't speak to those who are likely to oppose them. They go after the children. Well, why did they have that success? They had that success because they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they were still servants. They were not freed, many of them. I mean, there were some slaves freed in the early church, but many of them remained slaves, unfortunately. But they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, and so they were able to win these souls to Jesus. And that's why the church just exploded in growth. So that first reason why it's so important for you to have the spirit of prayer is that without it, you will not be able to be particularly useful to God. And instead of living in the power that God has called the church to live in, we're just living at this low ebb. Now related to this, the flip side of this, which is rather upsetting, is that if we're not great, greatly useful, that means many souls are eternally lost who could have been saved. And... If you think about how long has the church existed on the earth, well, about 2,000 years. In that time, there are probably millions of people in hell who could have been saved if the, if the Christians around them had had the influence of the Holy Spirit. So that's a, the very sobering flip side of what I'm saying. And 
you know, we have to consider that we're all going to face God at the judgment and we're going to be judged by what we've done. And I, for one, am afraid to get to the judgment and see all of the people who were lost because I didn't care enough to pray for the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't see even how I could be saved if I were in that situation. So this is a very sober thing. And again, as we shared, it's so important when you're feeling particularly led by the Holy Spirit to pray for someone to do it right then, because that may be the one moment where that person can be converted and can enter the kingdom. And so it's not just like, oh, well, I felt like praying, but, you know, I got distracted with something else and it's not a big deal. We're really dealing with eternal destinies. And it's not a light or a small or a casual thing to blow off an unction that you have to pray for somebody or to speak to somebody the gospel. And, you know, I've had to repent because there have been times where I've been like, is that person going to be lost because I didn't talk to them? Because I felt like I should speak to them and I didn't? So I don't want to live that way anymore. And you can look at Ezekiel chapter 3 speaks on this subject. I'll just read it quickly. This is Ezekiel 3 verses 17 through 21. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. So in other words, the Holy Spirit comes to us and gives us a word or gives us an unction for a particular person. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. So what this is saying is that if God directs you to speak to a sinner, to urge that person to turn to righteousness, and you don't do it, and that person dies in their sin, that God will hold you responsible for that. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you will have saved your life. So if we warn someone and they refuse to hear us, we're not responsible for that, but we are responsible if we refuse to warn them when the Lord has given us by his spirit a direction to do that. And then he says again, if a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds which he has done shall not be remembered but his blood will I require at your hand. And we see this come up again in the New Testament in Matthew 18, where Jesus says, if you see your brother sin, go and speak to him. The idea here is redemptive. We're not to just let our brothers and sisters in the church slide into sin and not say anything to them. Because if we die in our sins, we will not be saved. It says all, all of our righteousness won't be remembered. So you can be living a righteous life, but if you turn away, you won't be saved. So don't just think that your brothers and sisters are fine if they're going on in sin, but love them enough to talk to them. And then he says, nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live. 
because he took warning and you will have saved your life. So we see God in one sense does hold us responsible to speak to others in order to show them the way of life. Ultimately, the decision does rest on them, but we're still responsible to actually speak to them as the Holy Spirit leads us. Now, quickly, another reason why this is important is that this spirit of prayer and this prayer of faith, that having this Holy Spirit is important for our own sanctification, for our own holiness. So, if we don't have the spirit of prayer or this influence of the Holy Spirit, we won't understand the Bible, we won't know how to apply it, and as a result, we won't be sanctified. And as we're going to talk about a little bit later in this broadcast, Jesus said that if we loved him and we kept his commandments, that the Father would come to him, the Father would come to us and would take up his abode in us. So in other words, God wants to come and live with us in a way where his presence is always there and he never leaves. And that's what we're praying for as we pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Another reason why this is important is that if we don't have a spirit of prayer, we're very likely to doubt the results of prayer. And this can become problematic, for example, if there is a revival in your church and there are new converts... If you haven't been praying for them, you're not going to have that love in your heart for them. You're not going to be tender and affectionate with them. You might even be skeptical and say, well, we'll see if they really were converted. We'll see how they turn out. That's not what God wants. God wants us to have a spirit of prayer so that we recognize his answers to prayer. Because that brings glory to God. Another reason... I'm sorry, let me back up here. So as we're talking about why this all matters, I wanted to mention there's several groups of people who can mistake what I'm saying. So the first group, there are some people who think, okay, well, I, if I just pray, then I don't have to do anything else. You know, I'll just pray. I won't talk to anyone. I won't witness, I won't do anything, I just want to pray. Well, that's in a way that's tempting God because God has given us the great commission. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say that he would do that without us doing anything. So we don't want to go into the one ditch, which is to say, okay, well, I'm just going to totally focus on prayer and I'm not going to do anything else. Now, the other side of that ditch is, and you often see this with, I have several people I know who are really, I, I love them, I'm really grateful for the work that they're doing, but you see this a lot with street evangelists where they are really zealous, they get out there, they witness, they pass out tracts, but they don't pray very much, and so there's almost no success in what they're doing. And we see this too even on a larger church scale. Part of the reason why there's so many backsliders in our churches or so many unconverted people in our churches is because of a lack of prayer. And we can't just lay that all on the pastor. We're all responsible for that. Now, there's a third group, which are people who 
read they read the scripture and they see there's a promise of God and they say, okay, well, God said it. That means it's going to happen. So I don't have to pray and I don't have to even witness or do anything. God's just going to do it. All right. That's, that's a strange understanding of the sovereignty of God that is not warranted by scripture. So we can take the example of Daniel. So Daniel was reading Jeremiah. He saw the captivity of Babylon was supposed to end at 70 years. Now he did not say, great, God's going to end the captivity after 70 years. I'm just going to sit here and wait for it to happen. No, he said, all right, I'm going to set my face to pray, to confess the sins of Israel, to fast until the deliverance comes. So in this way, it's really beautiful. There's this really beautiful synergy that happens between Christ and the church where as Christians, we see the promises of God and we say, yes, God's willing to do that. I have absolute confidence he's going to do it. And then we pray and we pray and we trust him and we obey and then he does it. And that's how we've had so many awakenings in this country is Christians have seen the promises for the millennium and they've said, this world will be righteous and I'm going to stand on, they've been given specific promises to stand on. And then that's how we had, like, Care for the Insane came out of the Second Great Awakening. We had public education. We had the abolition of slavery. That all came out of Christians who took action through prayer and obedience on the promises of God. So before I hand it over to Pastor Ray, I just wanted to briefly discuss one more thing. So... The challenge here, I don't want you to just listen to this broadcast and say, okay, now I understand prayer. I want We want you to actually pray. So the challenge we have for you is have you ever experienced the spirit of prayer that we've been describing? There have been times where I have just you just it's just like the holy spirit seizes you he gives you a promise you pray it and it's done it happens i was healed of gluten intolerance in this manner um there's another person i've been praying for who i prayed through in that way so perhaps you've had a glimpse well if you've had a glimpse that's good and but god wants to make this the normal experience of our lives and that's what we're praying for so the question is, will you give yourself to this kind of prayer? Will you act on what we've been sharing these past few weeks? One illustration of why this is so important. There was a church that had a revival 14 winters in a row. And then suddenly one winter, there wasn't, there wasn't a revival. And so everyone was wondering what's happening. And at a prayer meeting, one of the men stood up and he was crying and he made a confession. And he said, I have been in the habit of praying every Saturday night until after midnight for the descent of the Holy Ghost among us. But now I confess that I have neglected it for two or three weeks. So you see that the revival was dependent on this continual fervent prayer. Now, praise God, this man was brokenhearted and did repent so that he could continue praying. The other, as we shared before, the other side of this is 
if we don't pray in faith, how is anyone going to be saved? How is the church going to be born? And so if you really start to become aware of your children, your parents, your co-workers, then how could you live without praying in faith? It starts to make you extremely uncomfortable and you might even feel like you're going a little crazy if you never actually offer the prayer of faith for them. So I urge you to act on these broadcasts and to actually say, yes, I want to become a person of prayer and take up this mantle. A passage of scripture I'd like to share with you. John, the 16th chapter, verse 7. And yet I tell you the truth, it is better for you that I may go away. For if I may not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I may go, I will send him to you. And that one, after having come, will convict the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I am going away to my Father, and you see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you're not able to bear them. But when the one may come, the Spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak from himself, but he will speak whatever he may hear, and he will declare the coming things to you, that one may glorify me, because he will receive of mine and declare it to you. All things whatsoever the Father has are mine. Therefore, or because of this, I said to you, I said that he takes out of mine and he will tell you. Well, in the King James Version and some other versions, it says the comforter. Lavender translates it helper. But the actual word in the Greek is paraclete. And the literal meaning of paraclete is advocate or attorney. Now, Whose advocate is this? It's Jesus' advocate. And he is coming to do something with us. You know, Alexandra, as we've shared over this past two weeks, the cry of our heart is that this not simply be information, but rather that you who are listening would begin to put this into practice. So I'm going to summarize now for you three vital truths about the Holy Spirit. Now these may be shocking to you, but I want to give you three vital truths that come out of the Scriptures. Number one, the Spirit of God comes literally to take the place of Jesus and to be to the disciples everything that Jesus has been and all that he would have become had he stayed with them. 
So literally, Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit to his disciples to take his place. We could look at many scriptures that that speak about this. John 14, 16 through 17. John 14, 26. John 15, 26. John 16, 7 and 8. Verse 13. There are many scriptures that Jesus spoke at the end of his ministry where literally the Holy Spirit is to come and take the place of Jesus. Number two, the Spirit promised to the disciples is the same identical Spirit that dwelt in Jesus and was the explanation of his entire life and ministry. In other words, this Holy Spirit that we're speaking about is the one who communicated with Jesus the will of the Father so that Jesus only spoke the words given by the Father communicated by the Holy Spirit. Remember at the baptism of of Jesus when John brought him up out of the water, the dove descended. It was not tongues of fire because Jesus had no sin. It was the dove. Tongues of fire came on the disciples as a cleansing agent. Now, we need to put away forever any notion that the Holy Spirit comes to comfort us. He is not a sweet lullaby. He is a confronter. He is an advocate for Jesus. He is calling us to take up the cross and follow Jesus and act as Jesus acted while he was on the earth. Now, the third great truth we need to identify, the Spirit of God comes to dwell in the disciple in the same way he dwelt in Jesus, that Christ may be reproduced in that disciple and make him to be in the world all that Jesus would have been had he stayed upon the earth and lived where the disciples lived. I spoke to a business manager this morning and I said to him, he's a wonderful Christian brother, I said to him, you are to be Jesus in this place of business. He became very sober. He said, you are exactly right. My behavior, my words, They are to be the behavior and the words that Jesus exemplified while he was on the earth. I am to be Jesus to this place. And we don't mean here a a sentimental, loving, kind Jesus, but we mean the Jesus who bore witness of the truth, who rebuked sin who called sinners to righteousness he says i am i am to call sinners to repentance the jesus who witnessed who loved us yes that is part of it but i often hear people saying that they're being jesus when they're really not being jesus so we have to be the whole jesus now what you're going to hear from us I pray, is that literally the Holy Spirit must come in and take over your life. And take over your body. To take over your body. I said to this brother, 
the great issue that you're struggling with to be Jesus in this store is that you have no power. You've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Great sadness came on his countenance as he said, Pastor, you're absolutely right. We know what we're supposed to be. And then strange things happen. A pastor and a bishop took a stand for sin against righteousness. Well, that kind of a position then justifies the Christian living day by day not being Jesus in the world. So let's be clear. The Holy Spirit comes to take the place of Jesus. He comes to be to the believer all that Jesus was to his disciples. The Holy Spirit takes the place of Jesus with this difference. Christ abode with men. Jesus walked with the men. The change is that now the Holy Spirit does not come to walk with us. Rather, he comes to be in us to take over our life. The Spirit of Christ is in us instead of Christ with us. He not only comes to be to us all that Jesus was, but to plant himself as the representative of Jesus at the very seat and center of your soul. As he dealt in Christ, so will he dwell in you. What he did for Jesus, he'll do for us. What Jesus was in the world, he became by the Spirit. It was by the Spirit that he was born into the world. It was under the Spirit's direction that Jesus grew to manhood in favor with God and man. The Holy Spirit baptized him for ministry. In his wisdom, he taught by his power, he brought forth mighty miracles. Do you understand? We can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a story in the Old Testament that's very powerful. And it illustrates what we're talking about. It's the story of Gideon. We're told it was by the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him that he became a valiant soldier and conquering leader of Israel. But in the margin of the Revised Version, it says the Spirit of the Lord clothed itself with Gideon. It did not come upon him as a garment, nor fall upon him as an anointing finding its way to the very center of Gideon's being, the Spirit took possession of Gideon's faculties and put on the man as a garment. Now, I want you to hear this. We are not looking for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We're not looking for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We're looking for the Holy Spirit to come and take possession the Holy Spirit dwelt in Gideon, thinking through his brains, feeling with his soul, working with his hands. It was 
it was thus he dwelt in Jesus, and in like manner he comes to be in us. He becomes the soul of the soul and the life of the life. He doesn't disturb the man's mental ability. He doesn't destroy the man's personality. He dwells and works in the heart, vitalizing, permeating, sanctifying, directing, empowering, literally filling every part of a man's being. This is consecration. This is the secret of power for godly service. This is what is called Christianity. To be filled, to be fired up, to be possessed of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of Christ dwells in you, but if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. The trouble with many religious people is that their Christianity is outside of themselves. If we could just get a hold of this today, the Christian faith is not something outside. It's something inside. It is total surrender to the Holy Spirit. Everything is dividable inside things and outside things. It is the things within that live and direct and change a man. You can't ever get out of a man what is not in him before you begin. I remember when I was just a kid, the pastor of our church decided he was going to come over and train this little boy, Ray, to sing. He came and spent a full evening trying to teach me how to sing. He was a wonderful musician and a wonderful vocalist. He did everything he could to teach me how to sing. What he didn't realize is that there was not music inside of me. He could not bring out of me what was not there. He finally, in despair, gave up and said, I know you want to be a pastor, Ray. I hope you can preach, for you certainly will never be able to sing. Well, he was right. I've never been able to sing. I make a joyful noise to the Lord because that pleases the Lord. But he could not get out of me what was not in me. You can't make a poet out of a man who has no poetry in his soul. Do you understand? We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. He must be an indwelling, dominating presence. He must be the very heart and center of who we are and what we are. The law of Christian living is written not on tablets or tables of stone. It is written on the heart by the Holy Spirit. We sometimes hear the term imitating Christ, 
but even that is to set up Christ as an external idea to which we strive for. But that in and of itself is pagan. We don't become like Christ by imitating him, but we become like Christ by receiving him so that he lives in us and he is a living God who is actually living out his life through my body and through my life. So the work of the Holy Spirit is in us. The Spirit takes up his place of residence in the soul in order to continue the ministry and work of Christ. What the Master has been to the disciples, he must become to us. Now, I don't know how to say this to you, but I'm going to try. Please be patient as I try to say this. Most of you listening, keep the Holy Spirit and keep Jesus on the outside of you. Because if you let him in, you are afraid of what he will do with your life. Because after all, you only have one life. And you want that life. And you have certain things that you know that if you utterly surrender and give yourself over to the Holy Spirit, you know he will not keep any of it. So what we're literally saying is that Jesus does not do things on the earth outside of people who are willing to give over their bodies and their minds and their lives to him. So in other words, Jesus doesn't move somewhere outside of us to convert people, but men and women are converted as the Holy Spirit lives in us and works through us. So this is critical because we're apt to think that God is somehow going to just save the world without us really doing much. And that is not true. God requires willing men and women and children who will give over themselves to be used by him. And that is not always pretty. You can look at some of the revivalists, like we shared a little bit about Maria Woodworth Eder. A lot of her ministry was done in tents. She and a few other evangelists would show up. They'd set up a tent in the rain. It was cold. It was miserable. Her husband was sometimes very ill. But they would pray until maybe 12 people would come to the meeting. And then at that first meeting one person could be healed. And then, okay, now the next meeting's a little bigger. But then within a few weeks, they had these tremendous tent revivals. Now, this kind of thing is very common. If you read the, the journals of George Fox, who started what is now the Quakers, George Fox would go preach in a village, and sometimes they would drive him out with pitchforks. He'd have nowhere to sleep at night. He slept in the woods in the rain. And then he'd go back to that village a few days later and find that they had all repented and they were apologizing to him for what they'd done. So 
it's not like that's going to happen to every one of us but the point is that we have to be willing for whatever God will call us to do and it's going to be difficult it's going to be painful it's going to involve self-denial it's going to involve losing our comforts because now the only thing that I'm doing in my life is being a person who Jesus can live through and live out his life as if he were still living on the earth. Now we've set up what we've called the upper room and the National Prayer Chapel is not holding public services right now. We are instead totally focused in the upper room praying for revival for Washington DC, praying for revival on this radio broadcast, praying that you will make decisions to pray and to join together with us. But we're seeing a very interesting thing. Some people express interest in perhaps coming to the upper room. And I'll give you my phone number. You're welcome to call me. You're even welcome to come. If you are not walking in any known sin, you're walking clean, and you've made a decision that you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's, I'll give you the number. It's 703-489-1785. Now, what I'm finding is that some very honest and sincere people, when I confront them with this issue of being baptized fully and completely in the power of the Holy Spirit, and giving up their independent life, they're reticent to come. And they'll say, well, can't I receive the Holy Spirit when I pray in my bedroom? Well, yes, there are people who have received the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit in their bedroom. The problem is they're saying that because they want to maintain their independence they don't want to gather with other Christians and just lay out clearly any faults they may be struggling with, anything that's tempting them, and then to just pray together as the church in the upper room for the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm fearful for some of these dear ones because if you maintain your separation and you maintain your independence you're not fit for the coming of the Holy Spirit yes you'll recall in John chapter 17 when Jesus prayed to the father before his crucifixion he prayed that his believers his disciples would be one even as Jesus and the father are one so this idea of oneness is so key. This isn't just like an intellectual concept, but it's to be the living reality of our life. And so what we've been sharing is that when Christ comes and lives in us, there's not a separation between us and Jesus. There's not a separation between Jesus's work and my work. So for example, we know Jesus came to teach, to witness, to reveal the truth to reveal who God is and to save. So when we receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes in the place of Jesus to teach, witness, reveal, and save. And so it's the Christian 
who was inspired by this indwelling spirit who was in the world instead of Christ to teach, witness, reveal, and save. So this is why the church is described as Christ's body that is indwelt as by the, his spirit and sanctified for his service. So it's like, instead of it just being Jesus, instead of it just being one man Jesus on the earth, we now should have millions of Jesuses on the earth. That's why Jesus said it was better for him to go away. Because he said, if I go not away, then the paraclete won't come. But Jesus said it was better for him to leave because now it's, it's multiplied. So we should have an army of Jesuses that has infiltrated every sphere of life. Like, so think about it. If you were sent, say you were sent by the U.S. government into an enemy country and you were there to try to persuade people to your cause, right? What would be better than having people in households, in restaurants, as waiters, in different working establishments? I mean, God is so wise that he has just designed this infiltration into every area of society. But if we aren't, if we haven't received Christ to live in us in that way, then we're not able to be Jesus. You see, every place where the church is, Jesus should be. So the church is not a concert. The church is not an event. The church is a people filled by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Many places are called churches and there is no presence of the Holy Spirit. He is grieved. They are walking in sin. They're walking in fornication. They're walking in all kinds of wickedness. And they're being promised by their pastors or bishops that they are still saved in spite of their sin. And they want revival. It'll never come there without judgment, without conviction of sin. So the work of the church is to live the Christ life, to teach his word, to be a witness to his person, to reveal the character of God and declare things to come to the saving of the world. That's our mission. This was Jesus' purpose in the world. We now are in the world as the church instead of Jesus. We are called to do his work. The Spirit of God has been grieved from the American church. This must be changed. So the last word of Jesus is this. Go back. Back to the city. Back to the place of waiting and tarry. Tarry. Tarry till ye be endued with power from on high. Oh, but the world is dying. Let it die. But, but men are hungry. Let them hunger. The souls are being damned. Let them be damned. Rather than go forth to attempt a divine work without a divine baptism. Go back. 
back to the upper room, back to your knees, back to the searching of heart and habit, thought and life, back to the pleading and the praying and the waiting till the Spirit of the Lord floods your soul with light and you are endued with power from on high. Then go forth in the power of Pentecost and the Christ's life shall be lived and the works of Christ shall be done. You shall open blind eyes, cleanse foul hearts, break men's fetters, and save men's souls. In the power of the indwelling spirit, miracles become the commonplace of daily living. Amen. Well, we're out of time for this broadcast today. We have about a minute left. I would invite you to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com that's nationalprayerchapel.com you can listen to this message again and please listen to all the other messages in this series it's can revivals be prayed down and I want to thank those dear brothers and sisters who are committing their offerings to Jesus to help with the upper room to help with Pilgrim's Progress. We could not do it without you. We cannot do it without you. Please, we need your prayers and your support. God bless you. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. God bless you. With great joy Now unto Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.